Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB. A date confirmed for disposition since April 24th, 2017. On Tuesday of this week, July the 11th, 2017, at 4.30 p.m., defense filed their motion for unreasonable delay. A last-minute hearing was arranged for this morning, July 14th, at 9 a.m. As we speak, the motion is still not compliant with procedural requirements. The Constitutional Questions Act requires that the defense serve notice of any charter motion on the Constitutional Law Branch 30 days in advance of any hearing date for a notice of motion. That notice requirement has been breached. Defense only provided service to the Constitutional Law Branch at 4.20 p.m. on July the 11th, This is the voice of Murray Thompson, notice, the judge in charge of the Andrea Giesbrick case. I'm Greg Mackling, Tristan Field-Jones, along with Keith McCullough, who's back at 680 CJOB. We are bringing you this audio via our live stream, which you can catch at cjob.com and globalnews.ca. Keith McCullough. What is Murray Thompson ruling on right now? And what is he sharing with the court and through technology, us? Well, and Greg, Tristan, just to reset for folks, Andrea Giesbrecht convicted earlier this year in that now infamous case, hiding the remains of six dead babies inside a storage locker on McPhillips back in 2014. That discovery was made. She was set to be sentenced today for her crimes, could be facing a, an up to 11-year prison sentence. But at the last minute, her defense lawyer filing a motion in court saying this has taken too long. There's been too many delays. The whole thing should be tossed out and my client should walk free. So the voice you just heard, as you mentioned, Judge Murray Thompson, you can watch him now at CJOB.com. He's first going to rule, guys, on that motion from the defense on whether or not this case can actually continue to sentencing or whether it should be ended altogether. Once he makes his ruling on that, we'll know if... Andrea Giesbrecht is going to be sentenced today or not. And then from there, how many years she may potentially spend behind bars. Now, Keith, I know that you've covered this case uh, pretty extensively. And uh, the uh, motion that uh, the defense lawyer, Greg Brodsky, is filing, does this come across as a little bit as of a last-ditch attempt here, or is this something that's uh, kind of commonly seen in these cases? Well, it certainly feels like a bit of a Hail Mary, Tristan, simply because... He's doing it on the exact same day that his client could be finding out she's going to jail for a long time. So it, it has that feel to it. It feels like a last-ditch effort, whether you want to call it a stunt. Uh, there is some legal grounds for it. I mean, by the letter of the law, this case has taken a little bit longer than the Supreme Court says cases like this should take. Uh, prosecutors are saying it's a really complicated case. Uh, these delays were unavoidable. They were reasonable. Some of them were caused by us. Some of them were caused by the defense, a little bit of both. There weren't any delays that, in this case that were out of the ordinary or would be considered exceptional so that we would need to toss this entire case out. Uh, and the judge, guys, is clearly annoyed. And you can hear a little bit of it in his voice there on the up the top of the show with the bit of the live stream that we played on the air here. He's annoyed with the defense lawyer for leaving this to the last minute like he has, uh, essentially saying, listen, Mr. Brodsky, it's ironic that you're the one complaining about delays and saying that your client should go free because of all the delays, and now you're delaying us again. 
and trying to get this sentencing uh, put off because of your motion here. So it'll be very interesting to see in the minutes ahead what he decides on this uh, motion from Greg Brodsky. And then we think potentially what kind of sentence Andrea Giesbrecht might get uh, later on this afternoon. Global News, Keith McCullough joining us from 680 CJOB. Greg Mackling, Tristan Field-Jones on location, Santa Lucia Pizza on St. Mary's Road. And Keith, I know you've been speaking to us, but has Judge Thompson ruled on Brodsky's motion as of yet? I don't believe he has as of yet, guys, and it's tough to know how quickly uh, he's going to, to do that. It could be a matter of minutes here. You never know with legal proceedings. You never know with judges how long they want to, uh, you know, speak, give a spiel, how much legalese uh, is going to be involved there. Just confirming right now that uh, that this is still going on, but we expect a conclusion uh, very shortly uh, from the judge here. So if we hang on, I think for a few more minutes, we'll get a decision. We can tell people whether or not Andrea Giesbrecht is going to be sentenced, is going to be held accountable uh, for her crimes. Again, she's already been convicted. That's what makes this unusual. It's not like this is before the trial has happened. Right. Andrea Giesbrecht has already been convicted of her crimes. So it would be a really strange move to then say, ah, you know what, we're going to forget that and throw this whole thing uh, out of court. Uh, so, And now we can tell you guys the news just breaking. We have it here at Global News. That motion has been dismissed. So there's some breaking news here on 680 CJOB. The sentencing is going to go ahead today. So again, you can watch it, globalnews.ca at cjob.com. We've got the link on our Twitter, on our Facebook page. The judge has said no to the defense motion to throw this whole thing out. And Andrea Giesbrecht will be sentenced today in the uh, crime of concealing the remains of six dead infants. Just to set it up, Greg, prosecutors have asked for an 11-year prison sentence the defense has asked for no further jail time for Andrea Giesbrecht, and it'll be interesting to see now where the judge comes down in this case. Uh, Keith, uh, please stand by, and as soon as we have the actual verdict, please uh, feel free to jump in to our programming. No matter what we're speaking about, we'd like to get this to our listeners as soon as possible. And as we've mentioned several times, if you'd like to see or hear the hear the audio, see the video, go to cgob.com and globalnews.ca, and you can see these proceedings uninterrupted. Keith, thank you very much. We look forward to speaking with you in just a little bit. Thanks, guys. We'll keep you posted. Global News, Keith McCullough, as you mentioned, Tristan, following this case very extensively. Yeah. And it's a case that a lot of people, uh, I would suspect anyone who has any bit of knowledge about this case has an opinion on how it should go. Well, and you know what's interesting, Greg, is that this was uh, the period right along when we had our uh, mayoral election in October of 2014. This was the day before Winnipeggers went to the poll. And the day after this was when the shootings at Parliament Hill took place. So imagine this, those few, day, few days from a news perspective of mm-hmm. this, this absolutely gruesome case followed by a national you know, terrorist incident sure. and uh, locally an, an, an election. Emotions were running high throughout that entire period just because there was so much going on. And you know, finding out the grisly details about what was there without you know, getting into too much, it's... It, that whole period was uh, something that sticks in my memory probably forever. I wonder if because this is such a one of those things where you remember when you heard about it first, and every time mm-hmm. it's brought up, it doesn't feel like it's that long ago. It does not, no. Because it, it's right there, right? No, and it, it's weird to think of it because, again, I will always tie this to the uh, election when Mayor Bowman 
was voted into office because it was the day before that all these details started coming out, that the initial reports started surfacing. And, uh, uh, you know, from that perspective, you kind of think, holy cow, we're into a three years out of a four-year term for Mayor Bowman, and it's been, now we're finally getting to the sentencing right. of this case that happened in October of 2014. You're right, it, it it's weird to think that it's been almost three years. And uh, just if you're just tuning in, Greg Brodsky's motion, uh, Greg Brodsky is Andrew Giesbrick's defense lawyer, his motion to have this case tossed out of court based on a, a time period issue you will remember that the supreme court of canada mm-hmm. said hey 18 months should be sufficient amount of time to be arrested processed evidence collected presented trial take place you just mentioned it's been three years since this discovery it's been a fairly long process uh, last ditch effort hail mary failed yep. by uh, defense lawyer greg brodsky we are going to shift gears we're going to have lots of fun this afternoon but we will bring you when we know the verdict, or not the verdict, but the, the sentencing, the sentencing yeah. uh, that comes across from Judge Murray Thompson. It's Greg Mackling, Tristan Field-Jones. We're sitting outside. Life is rough for us yeah. on this Friday that afternoon. Wind, man. Come on. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about the weather in our latest forecast in just a few moments. This is Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB. Hyrule who drives it down to Langford at the six-yard line. He's back to the 15, Langford the 20, the 25. Moves right to the 30, the 35, the 40, the 45, down the sideline. He's still inbound. He's gone. Ryan Langford all the way for a touchdown on the opening kickoff of the game. What a way to start. For the first time since the year 2000 in a game, I think it was September 17th against the Toronto Argonauts, the Winnipeg oh, Blue Bombers opened the game with a kickoff return for a touchdown. It was Marcus Howell, the Winnipegger and former alumni of, well, I guess he's alumni. You're always alumni of Daniel McIntyre Collegiate Institute. DMCI, go Maroons. Kelly Moore joins us in studio now. And, Kelly, that kickoff return set off the beginning. It was one of two touchdowns that a woman in Winnipeg was uh, anticipating huh. Uh, because uh, one more of those and uh, just a few bucks were going to be coming her way. No kidding, Greg. Yeah, Global News was able to speak with Karen Coldis earlier today. And as Greg mentioned, she's the Winnipeg woman who nearly, nearly won a million dollars during that Blue Bomber victory last night over Toronto. Winnipeg's Ryan Langford, you just heard the call by Bob Irving, returned that opening kickoff, and it appeared... Caldas was going to win a million dollars when Toronto's Martiz Jackson ran back a kickoff 109 yards in the second quarter. I didn't really know the rules. And then as Jackson was running down the field, my husband was just telling me, you know what, if he gets a, then there's a flag. Before he could even finish it, all of a sudden the announcer went, that was a $1 million bad call. And I'm looking, I don't even know what's going on, actually. My husband was well aware, but I wasn't. Then my heart started just going, oh, well, you know, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. My husband was so upset, like, and then I started thinking about, oh, my God, a million dollars. My daughter could stay at home for another couple of years of baby. That's exactly what went through my head. First thing that came to my head. The first thing, that was your first thought. That was, yeah, my first thought. Nothing about anything, like, no, I got my house. I, I got what I need, but my daughter, she wants to stay home longer. Yeah. So you would have... Would you have kept working? Would you have oh, kept I would have kept normal? working for sure. Yeah. yeah, but my daughter, she'd be happy. I'd be happy. <laughs> Does it? And so at the time, 
have you, has your feelings changed at all the next day kind of now looking at it uh, looking at it like what I can't believe is the whole country is rallying behind me that's when I get emotional I'm thinking all these strangers that don't even know me are pulling for me and that's that means more to me than the money actually because I can't believe that people would be like that I'm serious like it's awesome what, what is it about that just that just the feeling of- that people that don't even know you are rooting for you so Caldas did win a $25,000 entertainment unit, Greg, for the Langford touchdown. But had there not been that penalty for the illegal block on the second TD return, the Caldas family would be celebrating their second huge windfall because 10 years ago, her husband Stan won $675,000 in the now defunct Prairie Payday Lottery. That, um, paid off her house and uh, bought my son a car and Paid for his education because he, yeah, 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 and family, so, we helped a lot. Knowing that, like, in a way, is it almost like, is, is this what like ha- a sense of karma? Like, you have I don't to- know what it's a sense of. I just feel like, no, I don't know. I, it's, yeah, I don't know what it is. Um, I just shop at Safeway and I do my air miles and, yeah. yeah. Just kind of interesting. Two big, big, like, money events happening to the same yeah. people. It's just kind of. But we still went to work. I, I, we never quit work. I worked two jobs, in fact, and he, he used to work two jobs. So. so when you won that amount, it didn't change anything? It didn't, it didn't change, change your any, sort of daily routine? My attitude or anything, no. My son actually, um, my husband actually bought uh, the Mudcats uh, new uniforms, oh, part really? of his winning, yeah. So the, the uniforms that they wear now, my husband paid for them, yeah. That's interesting. Mudcats are a baseball team uh, in that area, and they also help the Barrens River team as well. So, wow, <laughs> that's a great, what an incredible story! It is, but you know the hashtag. What about Karen? Was of course trending yes. on Twitter. What do you think, Kelly? This revelation that they've already had a fairly substantial windfall, although it was ten years ago. Do you think that's going to change public sentiment for I, this? I, uh, it shouldn't. You, sh- I mean, it should have nothing to do with winning a lottery earlier, but man, I'll tell you what, the lucky people, I guess, but by the same token, when you hear Karen talk to Sean Leslie of Global News, how can you not pull for her? She's yeah, just yeah. a beautiful, beautiful person. Well, just Greg and I off air were kind of chuckling at her comments. You know, I just go to Safeway and shop. Yeah. Or, oh, you know, just just got the summer car, whatever, and that yeah, yeah. was a million bucks. Uh, too I bad. Mean, I mean, working, great mentality. Yeah, she's working at a fast food restaurant. That was where the interview <laughs> was taken. You could hear all the traffic going by. So, yeah, I I mean, I don't think that should change public sentiment one iota, but I just think it just it adds to the story and I guess if anything maybe it lessens the impact a little bit of missing out in the million but I don't know (laughs) better attitude than I'd have well Kelly you and I have seen and Tristan uh, for as much sportsing as you partake in we've all seen some bad calls over the years that was a bad call a call that really didn't have much effect on the play and that opens a bigger can of worms with regard to officiating in the Canadian Football League and and other leagues for sure. Uh, This whole idea is, uh, and what happened last night is reminiscent of a few years ago, same sort of contest when Matthew Perot had scored four goals for the Jets and then missed out on a fifth one. Uh, A a teacher, I think, from Brandon missed out on a million dollars in a similar situation. So uh, I don't know what's better, to have been that close or never to have been that close. Close to the sun. I believe Perot actually apologized. He after did because he didn't Sorry. know. Uh, Tis better to have played the game 
than not to have played the game at all, I think. It's, well, you know, I tell you what, because I remember interviewing the teacher from Brandon, and she said, you know, she was in the kitchen doing dishes, and all of a sudden, here's her name, and everybody's starting to call her from all across <laughs> the country. So, yeah, it is wild. But uh, uh, just a, and, and to further to that penalty call, guys, uh, I, I understand that later this afternoon the league is going to address that and are going to say that they're standing by the call that was made on the field. Really? That's interesting. Uh, Kelly, uh, PR-wise, uh, we'll give you about uh, 60 seconds here. PR-wise, would it be wise for the sponsor of this contest, the Canadian Football League, or someone from left field come in and maybe do something special for Karen Caldas? Well, I, yeah, I'm not sure uh, what that situation is. I, I did get in touch with Pro Motivate, who They are the people who administer the prizing for Safeway Sobeys and uh, was uh, told that, you know, somebody might be back in touch with me when I asked if any conversation had been had about, you know, making good on this. Uh, so uh, I don't know if that still is being discussed or not. But, you know, the rules are set out pretty specifically mm-hmm. on that website. So... That, uh, you know, it it was not a touchdown, and it takes two touchdowns on kickoff returns to cash in the million. Always great to hear your voice, Kelly. Kelly, you will be uh, the voice of the Blue Bombers next Friday. Have yourself a great weekend, and we'll catch up with you on Monday. All right, boys, don't stuff yourself too much with that. No, go ahead. Stuff yourself with that pizza. Kelly, Kelly, I'm going to have your piece right now. And by the way, hey, Jeff Forche standing by there. Why don't we play that heartbreaking call, as called, by our own Bob Irving. This is Martise Jackson of the Toronto Argonauts scoring a touchdown that would have won Karen Caldas $1 million. And, well, listen to the clip and, and find out what happened after all. Jeff? Moving left. Boy, if he gets around that corner, and he does. And he's to the 50. Center field, the 50 of the Bombers, the 40. Medlock cuts him off, but he cuts it inside, and he will score. There is a penalty flag, though. There's a penalty flag at the Bomber 25-yard line. I never saw the flag thrown there, and wow, did he ever make that look easy. He just outlegged everybody. Pursuit angles. During the run back, illegal block, Toronto number 84. It's a 10-yard penalty. It's going to be first down. That's $100,000 a yard, Tristan Field-Jones, for Karen Coldis and her family. The million-dollar penalty. Would be interested to know what you think should happen with this. Should someone step up and, and make good at least partially on this million dollars 204-780-6868 send us a text we've got global news and weather coming up with clay young at the bottom of the hour it's greg and tristan from santa lucia and to contribute along with crime prevention initiatives to respect for the law and the maintenance of a just peaceful and safe society by imposing just sanctions that have one or more of the following objectives a to denounce unlawful conduct and the harm done to victims or to the community that is caused by unlawful conduct. B, to deter the offender and other persons from committing offenses. C, to separate offenders from society where necessary. D, to assist in rehabilitating offenders. E, to provide reparations for harm done to victims or to the community. That is Judge Murray Thompson from the 
Law Courts building in downtown Winnipeg. If you'd like to hear all of Murray Thompson's words and see it in living color, go to cgob.com, globalnews.ca. This is the sentencing hearing now for Andrea Giesbrecht. We've told you extensively about this case, and if you'd like to hear the verdict live, please go to, as I mentioned, cgob.com, globalnews.ca. Greg Mackling, Tristan Field-Jones with you on this Friday afternoon, basking in the sunshine, although getting a little bit of cloud cover now, which isn't the worst thing in the world, Tristan. No, I mean, uh, basking in the sun. I mean, the breeze is nice, so not too much to complain about, but man, Greg... Basking in the sun and having the wind here. How's your pizza? Ridiculous. Oh, delicious. Good, good, good. Frickin' delicious, man. <laughs> we are sitting on the rooftop patio at Santa Lucia on St. Mary's Road, right across from the St. Boniface Hospital. I can see the Albrechtson Research Center and the Asper Institute. And, of course, yesterday, that hospital was the focus of worldwide attention mm-hmm. as former American President Jimmy Carter was being treated for dehydration. Of course, he was back on the job this morning. Yep. Would you expect anything less from this guy? No, I, I, I'm uh, really impressed because I'm not sure at the age of 92, I'm not sure at the age of uh, that I am right now, I could even do <laughs> something like that. But no, he's, it's really impressive the fact that he's decided to go back up and say, you know what, I'm not going to let a little dehydration uh, affect me and... Uh, just going right at it. And our own uh, Richard Cloutier was there, saw the whole thing. Uh, I think far less dramatic than what some people expected. And we're all worried and saying, oh, no, Winnipeg's going to be the city that killed Jimmy Carter. Not even close. Yeah, I think it's going to take a lot more than uh, some Manitoba heat to take down yeah. a Georgia boy who uh, grew up as a peanut farmer working in the fields right. of Georgia, Plains, Georgia, to be specific. And, you know, so many people saying, what's he doing? Like, he doesn't need to swing a hammer. He doesn't need to be out there. He can be a motivational part of this, but he doesn't have to physically do anything. Take it from someone whose grandpa lived to 92. Up until his 90th year, if I didn't catch David Mackling at the right time in the fall and in the spring... I would catch him up on his ladder trying to clean his own eaves troughs. Wow. And you have to remember, for people that live a long time, it's because they're busy, because they're vital, because they're involved. That's what keeps them alive. You take that away from them, uh, you you might as well put them on the ice floe, you know, and send them off. Because uh, this is what keeps this is what keeps vital people alive. I want to give a shout out to one of our loyal listeners. I've been missing his text messages for the last few days, wondering why we hadn't got any. Well, it turns out he had a heart attack. Oh no, Kevin the Garbage Man. If you're listening online at cgob.com, Kev, I know you're in hospital. I don't know if you're at St. B or at Grace, but you gave a shout out to both those fine institutions yesterday. And uh, sounds like you're doing great. Just wanted to acknowledge what you're going through. And on your behalf, send out a shout out to uh, the wonderful caregivers at St. Boniface Hospital and at the Grace Hospital. Standing by, waiting to talk to us about another medical situation has to do with, and here's the headline from Larry Cush at the Winnipeg Free Press. Dozens and dozens, quote, of therapists expected to lose jobs with WRHA cuts. I'll just read the first couple sentences here. Hundreds of Winnipeggers receiving physiotherapy and occupational therapy services free of charge on an outpatient basis at city hospitals will soon have to shell out of their own hard-earned cash at a private clinic. The services are being privatized as a part of a cost-cutting effort by the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority, which needs to find $83 million in savings to balance this year's budget. Heidi Garcia joins us now. 
She is with MSOT, and she's uh, the co-chair of Current Affairs and Professional Advocacy at the Manitoba Society for Occupational Therapists. I'm going by memory there, Heidi. Did I get it right? <laughs> you did an amazing job, yes. Oh. So, tell us about what's happening with the WRHA and these outpatient services. Maybe let's start at the beginning and tell us what these outpatient services are, who qualifies for them, who is using these services currently. Uh, well, to be honest, um, uh, so MSOT is the association in Manitoba that represents the professional interests of all OTs in Manitoba, um, advocating for OTs and clients. And so really, these changes, we know as much as the public knows um, from, you know, the Healing Our Health System website. So what we see that their WRHA is saying is that they plan to move outpatient physiotherapy and occupational therapy to um, private practice providers. Um, our, our biggest concern is we haven't been involved in any of the consultation, and we're concerned that there's not a plan for, like, this is a huge shift in how services would be provided for clients, and uh, our concern is that there isn't a plan uh, for this shift from the public sector to the private sector. Um, and also many of the clients that are receiving um, outpatient services may not have uh, private health insurance that covers occupational therapy. So we're really encouraging people to go look at their um, private health insurance if they have some. And if OT isn't on your current plan, ask for it. We've got letters um, on our website templates, uh, msot.mb.ca. Um, that's one thing they can do, but we are really, we don't know what these changes are going to look like, and that is our biggest concern. Heidi, who uses your services? Who is this most going to impact? Well, the clients that, um, I don't work directly in that area, and so I'm speaking sort of on behalf of the profession, but it would be patient clients that would be living in their own homes, and it might be they might have a medical condition, they might have had an illness or an accident or for some reason um, that has impacted and changed their abilities. And so we can all imagine um, what might happen uh, to our daily life if suddenly we were impacted by a big change, you know, something uh, like I said, like a major accident. Um, or an illness, and we couldn't do the things we want to do for ourselves. We couldn't do the things we want to do at work. We couldn't do the things we want to do for our leisure activities. And occupational therapists work with people with their given abilities to help them do the things they either need to do or want to do so that they can live better. Um, you know, some of it is helping them to be more independent, perhaps. Um, some of it could be just and making sure that they're safe in their environment. And so without these services, we really are concerned that the quality of life and well-being of the health of many Manitobans will be affected. And obviously not everybody has insurance to cover these things. And, exactly. I, and Heidi, I think we were talking yesterday on the phone, and I relate to you my personal experience with occupational therapy at Health Sciences Centre. I went uh, three times a week for about seven months when I was rehabbing from my car accident. 
And not only was I appreciative of the care that I received and the fact that I didn't have to uh, argue with an insurance company about whether or not I needed this therapy because that's a whole other ball of wax when you're trying to recover Mm -hmm. from something, but we'll leave that alone. I can't comment on what the private clinics are like, but I can tell you at HSC, they've got this incredible facility. It's much like a gym and you go in and you can do all your different exercises, but you're not doing them alone. You're doing them Mm -hmm. in the company of people who have been through similar things, maybe things that aren't as severe as what you've been through, and definitely people who have been through worse. And there lends, that atmosphere lends a little bit of uh, appreciation for your station in life. There's uh, a lot of camaraderie, and there's there's also a whole lot of incentive and inspiration in that room for you to, to not miss any of your therapy. Absolutely, and to just have that you know, emotional support, right, Of um, and that camaraderie that you talk about. And, you know, the support goes beyond just um, the therapist, right? And in the hospital, the OTs and PTs work very closely together to support um, clients in their recovery. And um, in the private health sector at this point, that might um, be a challenge. You know, there might be two different clinics that will then have to try to communicate instead of one place so that could be another barrier for clients in accessing care something that you mentioned Heidi that uh, stood out for me especially when it comes to uh, the massive changes that are coming to our healthcare system you said that uh, uh, the organization your organization wasn't consulted about these changes this seems to be a bit of a pattern I know there's there's some controversy about the where they're going about this I think there's some fantastic changes that are well overdue when it comes to this health system mm-hmm. and yet it seems as if there isn't a lot of consultation going on with the actual workers, with the actual unions. There seems to be a lack of communication, to put it politely, I guess. Um, Heidi, uh, what was the reaction amongst the members there when they sort of found out about this, I assume, overnight? Um, mostly what I've been hearing from people is um, shock and surprise. Um, like I said, we were finding out the same time as the public was finding out and um, the occupational therapy community in Manitoba is quite small. There's less than 700 OTs. And so when something like this um, happens, you know, our colleagues are being affected and there's a lot of uncertainty um, and unknown um, and concern both for the occupational therapist and also for the clients that we serve. We're going to wrap things up there with you, Heidi. Uh, Thank you so much for your time. Please keep in touch with us and uh, send us any information that you get as you get it, if you don't mind. I will definitely do that. And thanks so much for um, reaching out and uh, helping us to, you know, get the word out about our concerns. That is Heidi Garcia from the Manitoba Society of Occupational Therapists. She is a current affairs and professional advocacy co-chair joining us on the latest decision uh, from the WRHA, this one affecting occupational therapists in hospitals in a public setting. And uh, Keith McCullough joins us now. Keith McCullough, Global News, do we have a sentence for Andrea Giesbrecht. Yes, we do. It will be eight and a half years in prison for Andrea Giesbrecht in connection, guys, to the hiding of the remains of six dead infants inside that storage locker on McPhillips. It was an interesting scene at the end of the judge's lengthy decision. He initially appeared to sentence Giesbrecht to nine and a half years, 
six months on one count, one year on another count, and then two years on each of the remaining four counts of hiding each of these individual dead infants. He then stopped at the end and said a sentence that long would essentially be crushing to Giesbrecht and her family, so he reduced it slightly down to eight and a half years, and Giesbrecht will also, guys, be given credit for some degree of time served. She's already served a little bit of time in custody here, so she'll end up serving about seven years and eight months or so behind bars as the official sentence for Andrea Giesbrecht here. This is audio from Judge Murray Thompson delivering that decision. Here's Judge Murray Thompson in the Andrea Giesbrecht case. Totaled consecutively, this would lead to a sentence of nine and a half years. I do not agree. Giesbrecht has a family, including two children, and is employed. A sentence of this length could be considered crushing. In my view, a one last look at this sentence ought to reduce the total sentence by one year to one of eight and a half years. I sentence Andrew Giesbrecht to serve a global sentence of eight and one half years. Judge Murray Thompson handing down the sentence, guys, for Andrea Giesbrecht. Again, it ends up being a little bit less than that because she's given credit for some time she's already spent behind bars. Three sheriffs walked into the court shortly after that decision came down. Uh, They're expected to now take Giesbrecht into custody. We do have a reporter down at the courthouse to get any reaction that we can after this case, but there it is. We've been waiting for years, guys, to hear that decision. Uh, eight and a half years sentence for Andrea Giesbrecht. Uh, Keith, just a quick question for you. I know that when we initially heard that the defense were asking for uh, no additional jail time, if I recall when we had a quick conversation on that, you were a little bit surprised having covered the case that they had asked this. So the eight and a half years, which was in between uh, what the Crown wanted versus the defense, is this pretty much expected? Well, it certainly skews closer, Tristan, to what the prosecutors were asking for, right? They were asking for 11 years which was almost the very maximum sentence that could have been given here under Canadian law. And then the defense at the other end of the spectrum, right, saying no further jail time. And you could tell as the judge moved through his decision that he was siding largely with the crown here, saying, you know, there needs to be a a deterrent to society. Giesbrecht is sort of an unprecedented offender. She hasn't shown any remorse, taken any responsibility for what she has done. Uh, And, you know, you just got the feeling as we move closer and closer to this that it looked like it would be closer to what prosecutors were asking. And this is a stiff sentence from the judge. Now, a lot of people out there are probably thinking, you know, these were her babies. We've heard evidence they were born alive. Now they're dead. She should be getting way more time behind bars. She was not charged with murder. She was only charged with concealing these remains. So under Canadian law, there's a maximum of two years behind bars on each count so that would be six times two or a maximum sentence of 12 years she ends up getting eight and a half years interesting what you heard from the judge there who sort of did his own math added up his own sentence and it equaled nine and a half and then said i don't agree with my own math i'm going to give her a little bit of a break here she has a family she has a job uh, and i'm going to take a year off of it and that is how he ends up with that uh, that eight and a half year sentence. Be interesting to see now, Tristan and Greg, if we can get any reaction from the defense or from prosecutors here outside of court to what we heard 
here today. Global News, Keith McCullough joining us with the very latest. Andrea Giesbrick has been sentenced to eight and a half years in prison for her crimes. We will take a break, come back and update the weather. It's Greg Mackling along with Tristan Field-Jones. Greg Mackling, Tristan Field-Jones basking in the sunshine at Santa Lucia Pizza. We're on St. Mary's Road. We're on the rooftop patio. Life is really good for us. Karen Caldas uh, had a rough <laughs> night last night. Uh, maybe uh, the only person that had a rougher night might have been Mike O'Shea because he would have been beside himself and maybe still is Kelly Moore with how his special teams played last night. And uh, those two comments tie together, don't they? Yes. Uh, well, the real story, Greg, is just after we finished talking about Karen Caldas and hearing from her, uh, the Canadian Football League, the Bombers, and Sobeys at Safeway are really going all out. So Karen Caldas and her family are going to be VIP guests of the league at the 105th Grey Cup in Ottawa. Oh, my. The Bombers are coming through with season tickets for the rest of this year and next. And Safeway, in addition to the $25,000 entertainment unit, is also providing Karen Caldas with free groceries for a year. Fantastic. Well, that's still not bad. I mean, it's not a million dollars, but what the heck. Well, and she also got that $25,000 TV and sound system. And and as you heard in the clips with her, you know, she's she's not part of the gimme gang. She just sounds like a really down-to-earth, wonderful lady. So uh, uh, some uh, some neat things have come out of this. uh, But the league is saying that uh, they're standing by that call. Thank you, Kelly Moore. 680C Joe B. Sports Director Kelly Moore giving us the latest on Coldest Gate. Missed field goal gate, kickoff gate, bad call gate. Yeah, I hate when Let's we, get rid of the there's gate. A, there's a scandal, you just add a gate to something. Yeah, what if there's a gate scandal? What do we call it? Gate gate? Gate gate. I suppose. Uh, okay. We've got lots of text messages piling up, stacking up at 780-6868 on the Andrew Giesbrick verdict, eight and a half years, as oh we just boy. heard from Judge Marie Thompson. Good to know eight and a half years isn't crushing, won't affect her family, won't affect her job. I think there's some sarcasm in there. Yeah. How many legal abortions did she have? Uh, that number, I don't know. There was a guess here by the texter, uh, but we try to stay away from speculation. Uh, sports is one thing to speculate on. Uh, something like that is another. Uh, legal cases, altogether. we stay far from that. Uh, Giesbrecht is getting off with an easy time to serve. Wow, six children. One is too many in my book. My option is all. And Gary, uh, I usually get your comments uh, send me another text. I'm really uh, confused on that. Uh, why don't we take a break? We've got global news and weather. Cottage country weather as well. Oh, cottage country weather. Okay, we'll do cottage country and then we'll break for global news and weather at the top of the hour. Welcome back. It's hour two of Mackling and McGarry. Tristan Field-Jones filling in for a vacationing, I suspect, golfing this afternoon. Brett McGarry, or maybe he'll show up here on the patio and have a beer with Try us. Try and take some of our tab. You think he might do that? You're so protective of that tab. I am, very yeah. much so. Well, I'm enjoying my time here, and I don't want Brett to show up with like a doofy grin on his face and be like, Hi, Tristan, how's it going? I think you get to come back that. here later on in the summer when I'm on holidays. We invite you to come down and end the week early. Come down and see us. Come have a beverage. Pizza, you know it's all about oh, the sauce. It's all about the sauce. Here at Santa Lucia. We'd love to see you. We're on the rooftop. St. Mary's Road, Santa Lucia Pizza overlooking uh, Marion and St. Mary's, but just in the distance, the Canadian Museum for Human Rights. You can see it towering over the forks. And of course, the uh, Asper Institute at St. Boniface Hospital and the Albertson Research Institute. One of my very favorite places in the United States of America is Austin, Texas. It has a fabulous street 
back-to-back-to-back, wall-to-wall-to-wall bars where you can drink your face off on a Friday, Saturday, Monday, Tuesday. I don't (gasps) think it ever closes, actually. Uh, Not that I would know that's the rumor because, of course, whenever I'm in Austin, it was for business. Of course, right. And you heard this from friends who were there. This is correct. And also home of the Texas Longhorns, University of Texas. And also, it's the Bats, right? Right? That's right. That's exactly right. Elizabeth? Thanks for taking some time. Audrey, McKay, they're all here because, well, they came by bicycle. They're on a 4,000-mile journey from Austin to Anchorage, and it brings them right through Winnipeg. We're so honored to have them uh, here at Santa Lucia with us today. Audrey Wynn is here, and Elizabeth uh, Chassel, is it? Chazel. Oh, so close. Chazel and McKay. I love the fact that uh, that's a family name is your first name. McKay Proctor joining us here. So uh, how are you enjoying your time in Winnipeg? Let's uh, start with you, Audrey. I had a great time. We actually went out last night with one of our host sons. His name is Tom. He took us to the Goodwill. We went to a progressive rock show, um, saw some really awesome bands, uh, really enjoyed the Apollo Suns last night, um, danced my pants off. It was great. Fantastic. Now, the bats that I mentioned, that's under a bridge downtown. I can't remember what it is, and I just remembered that I was introduced. Yeah, uh, Liz, can you tell us about the bats? Yeah, the bats. So it's a big thing that people do when they come to Austin in the summer. Um, I remember the first time I saw the bats was actually when I was visiting the UT campus. Um, and there's, I think it's, is it the Congress Bridge, Audrey? Yeah, it's the South Congress Bridge. Yeah, the South Congress Bridge. And so they, around like evening time, um, people just go and set out blankets and they just wait. And all of a sudden, around a certain time, all of these bats just fly out from under the bridge and just kind of cover the sky and it takes about three minutes for the rest to trickle out and then it's over and it's it's kind of magical but weird at the same time which is what austin is all about that that sounds like it belongs in a horror movie or (laughs) something like that when they're about to approach the castle and all you need is a lightning bolt and some thunder and you're good to go but austin is such a hip town it's a lot like winnipeg in the sense that it's reinvented itself over the last couple of decades, it's become a center of commerce, but at the heart of it, it is a university town. Is that fair to say, Audrey? Yeah, absolutely so. Uh, it's it's really cool. I think a lot of the uh, a lot of the academics draw a lot of diversity. Um, there's a lot of com- interesting conversations to be had. Uh, we've got a great thriving music scene too. There's a really cool art scene as well. Uh, and the city is just growing at such an expansive rate. It's actually a little bit overwhelming. So the last thing that I love most about Austin is that there is live music at their airport. Oh, really? Yes, and it's almost all the time. Maybe if you come in really late, you might miss out on it. That's the uh, Welcome to Winnipeg uh, national anthem there, sirens in the background. Um, (laughs) It it is one of the real cool things about Austin, and it does highlight how musically inclined the population is. We have music at our airport as well, but you won't be seeing that. Because no. you were passing through on bicycles. When did you leave Austin? And McKay, if you want to grab a headset there, would love to, to hear from you as well. McKay Proctor on this 4,000-mile journey. When did you guys, uh, or I, sorry, I should say it properly. When did you all leave uh, Austin? Um, so we left on June 3rd, uh, I believe, and uh, we're on day 42 of our journey. Uh, so we're 42 days out of 70 on our way to Alaska. What's the average distance you guys travel in a typical day? Uh, so somewhere around 85 miles a day. Wow. Do you guys know how fast on average you guys are going? You guys got speedometers or anything? Uh, so yeah, we've got like computers on our bikes that tell us how fast our wheels are moving and that tells us how fast we're going in general. But really it depends on like the winds and the elevation. Yeah. 
because uh, on our way to the Canadian border we hit a wicked headwind. Uh, I guess the air was just trying to get into the United States, you know. And I, now I have to ask, uh, when do you guys determine, like, is this a daily thing? I mean, you're here in Winnipeg for a bit of a break. When do you, when you guys determine, and which city do you guys determine where the break takes place? Yeah, so all of that is actually planned beforehand. Um, in addition to this 70-day summer ride, um, it's an 18-month leadership training program. And so all of us were accepted back in November of 2015. And then in the, all of the months leading up to this summer ride, um, there all of us are students or recent graduates from the University of Texas. And so everybody had a different position. And the, the biggest ones among, that, among those positions were planning the logistics of the ride. And so um, it's an annual ride, and so a lot of that was pulled from previous teams. Winnipeg is actually a place that the Ozarks route, which is what we're on, has come through. I think this is the fourth or fifth year that we've been here. Mm. Um, and so just you guys, we've received great reviews. So we decided to come back um, and spend a little extra That's time awesome. here. I love the fact that we're on the Ozarks route. What are the other two routes, McKay? Uh, so there are two other routes, one that goes up the California coast called uh, the Sierra route, and then one that goes through the Rocky Mountains, and it's called the Rockies route. I forgot I got to call it a route. A route. When we've got American guests. It's right. route. Route. Canada. It's a route. <laughs> we're learning our. We're uh, speaking our Canadian English, eh? Well, <laughs> uh, when you do business in the United States, it's good to learn a little bit of American. And and route was one that that if you're thinking and you're listening, is one that you pick up. So what really, Audrey? Why don't you uh, take a microphone here? Well, what really is the uh, the purpose of this ride? Obviously, leadership and what you're going to get out of it. Uh, is incalculable at this point, but I, I'm sure you have an idea and anticipation of what you're going to get out of it. But but what are you giving back? So Texas 4000, uh, we raise money and we do this bike ride to raise money for cancer research and cancer support services. And on the ride itself, we uh, touch, we travel through a lot of communities and spread hope, knowledge, and charity. Um, charity, we do check presentations where we grant out, we get to present checks, uh, from that were well, of money that was fundraised by a previous team. So next year in 2018, they'll be presenting checks uh, from our personal fundraising. Um, so that's really cool. Um, at knowledge we give uh, we give programs at, in different communities. Liz is actually uh, on the program team, so she can speak a little bit more to that. And I uh, hope uh, we just spend time interacting with people that we, you know, our hosts, um, people that we meet on the street, people see fighting cancer every mile on the back of our jerseys, and it's kind of like, it's really, really remarkable. It's, um, people just see it, and they come up, and they're willing to just share their stories. Uh, we were cycling. On our way here, we stopped at a gas station. One of our teammates had to go to the bathroom, and one of the women working there came out um, and was like, hey, I read about you in the local paper. I uh, really appreciate what you're doing, and she shared with us that she had lost, um, a son at the age of 13 to a childhood cancer um, and it's just it's really cool uh, to be able to talk to people and hear their stories and carry those stories all the way to Alaska with us. Liz it's therapeutic not only uh, for you I'm sure as you are traveling uh, across the country and, and through Canada and up to Alaska uh, to know that there are people paying attention that you're inspiring people, but it's therapeutic for those people to share those stories with you and to, to feel as though there's someone on their side. 
Yeah, it really is. Um, one thing that we are constantly told is that we are an inspiration, which is sometimes hard to grapple with because the, all of us are doing this crazy bike ride because we have a connection to cancer. And so we are inspired by the strength that our family members or our loved ones, our friends, um, that they demonstrate when they're going through their fights with cancer. And so more, it's cool to be an inspiration and to be inspired by those people who are telling us those same things. It's like a relationship where we just keep fighting for each other. And I mean, there's days where we really don't want to get back on the bike because, well, when you're doing it day after day, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of reasons. But um, every time that we do, we remember why what we're doing this for. And it's almost like a we consider it a very humble metaphor for the fight against cancer of, um, you're, you know, you're constantly working towards an end destination. You don't know what the road's going to look like, um, but you just keep fighting and there's people supporting you along the way and just a whole community that is growing that's cheering you on every single town we stop through um, they become almost like a part of the Texas 4000 family just because they touch us in such a kind way with the whether it's through you know just talking to us and sharing stories like Audrey mentioned or a lot of people just want to go out of their way to give us water or granola bars or you know little signs and you know it's it's really 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 cool experience now i have to ask from a because I, I i admire what you guys are doing so much because there's the 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 physical element of it there's the inspiration that you're passing along i'm inspired just by the fact that you guys are going four thousand miles and i have a tough time getting on my bike for 20 minutes <laughs> because greg wiped that smirk off your face uh but <laughs> I was it's gonna say because sports because sports yeah exactly <laughs> or lack of sports from my perspective so you mentioned uh why and what motivates you to keep going but physically how do you train for something that's this daunting yeah so we that's a great question um none of us were cyclists before we joined this organization most of us two of our teammates didn't even know how to ride bikes come on wow <laughs> really that's a lot there's hope after really? all maybe. there's hope for everybody <laughs> <laughs> spreading hope knowledge and charity like we say so, so that means there's uh, two tricycles yeah, yeah we, along? we've got some training wheels um, <laughs> no just kidding but we we got our our bikes back in november um and ever since then it, we would just kind of ramp up mileage so we we started it off with I think 12 miles, 12 miles um, yeah. and that was just on a Saturday morning and then the next week it was 20 miles and then it would it, it would build up every week from there we every Saturday morning our team was required to go on these rides um, starting around like 6 a.m. and wow. you know first at the first couple of weeks we would get done around 10 and then take a nap for five hours we'd be like I'm beat I can't do anything for the rest of the day but then by the spring um, in, in April we had our century test where we had to ride 100 miles in under 10 hours and that by then our body is just it becomes the new normal um i don't know how but our legs get stronger and yeah. mentally too you just figure out how to be on the bike all day well, well, you, well uh, practice makes perfect i guess right you do something long enough and eventually it becomes that that's amazing and you know what, that's given me a little bit of hope because i do know how to ride a bike at least so <laughs> i'm not starting quite at the bottom like one layer above. start at five get to 10 and then 15 <laughs> and work your way up that's what we did at work now we're on our way to Alaska. That's fantastic. Oh, we go. need to update the weather forecast. It's like, it's not Texas hot, but it's kind of like Minnesota, uh, Nebraska hot today. We'll update the weather forecast when we come back. It's Mackling and McGarry live on location. Tristan Field-Jones filling in for vacationing. Brett McGarry. Elizabeth, Audrey, and McKay, they're all here. The Texas 4000, they are cycling from Austin, Texas to Anchorage or Alaska. They've stopped in our city. They got here late yesterday afternoon, and they will be uh, sailing away 
across the prairies tomorrow morning on their way to Anchorage, Alaska. And uh, Audrey, how much further have you got to go before you get to Anchorage? Uh, are, are you keeping count? Today's day 42 of your adventure. 42, so it'll take us 70 days to go. Um, Do we just lose the microphone? Elizabeth, uh, uh, how many... Uh, how many um, uh, kilometers do you, do you have to do tomorrow? How many miles tomorrow? Oh, gosh. If you're quizzing me in kilometers, I don't know How many know miles? You can, t- you can tell us miles. <laughs> We've got about, I would say, 2,000 miles left to go until Anchorage. Um, we, Yeah, that's right. We're on day 42 right now, and we've got 70 total. So in the in the home stretch, for sure, we're over halfway done. It's about 3,200 kilometers for our friends on the metric system. Fantastic. So you guys will be heading to Regina uh, is Regina your last major city stop uh, in Canada, or you make it up? Uh, I guess you make it. You go up through Whitehorse, which is really a small town, but uh, uh, a very important one. In That's Yukon. right. Actually, Whitehorse is an exciting day for us. Um, so you mentioned earlier that there's three different routes, um, and Whitehorse is we get there on day 60, and that's when all three routes meet up together, and we will bike those last 10 days to Anchorage as a team of 70 rather than awesome. just three separate routes. So Whitehorse is definitely something we're looking forward to. So how many people are on the team uh, right here in Winnipeg? Right here in Winnipeg, there's 21 of us. Um, mm-hmm. The other routes have around 25. So we're a smaller group, but um, we're a great group. Which Now, which one of those routes is... Look at that, I said routes, not route. Which one of those is the toughest one, would you say? You know, they tough all... To tell? Yeah, it is tough to tell. They all have different pros and cons. Um, the Sierra's route sees a ton of elevation. They're going up through the West Coast. And so they've got a ton of mountains over there. And they've also got some winds coming in from the coast. Um, but they stay they stay in some pretty nice locations and get very well fed. Their mileage is a bit lower right now because they have higher elevation. And so whereas we, we bike... Re- yesterday we did... Um, uh, like 80 miles and then the day before that we had 100 um, right now they're going about 40s and 50s um, oh, yeah. and then same with the Rocky Mountains the their group um, they have some they have some more mileage stress in the beginning but then once they hit that major elevation their mileage drops down a lot lower and they they do a lot more camping and so if that's if that's easier for you then <laughs> that's a fun route but as somebody who likes staying um, and not around bugs but then our <laughs> our route we see a lot of flat a lot of flatlands in the beginning which that has its pros and cons as well because you have to keep pedaling and you don't get the downhills that come with nice mountain passes but yeah. um, we do the most mileage and so it really depends on your strengths as a cyclist but um, they all have their pros and cons for sure. Oh, you're being politically correct. You guys are doing <laughs> the toughest route because you got more wind to deal with. The open prairie is unforgiving. The heat probably nothing compared. Although oh, they, yeah. they get a little bit of the southwest, of course. But you're used to heat where, where you're from. That Audrey, you guys were telling us off air that you actually started by going south first. Yeah, so we stop in Houston, or we go through Houston, because uh, that's a big donor city for us. We also have a connection with MD Anderson. So you asked us uh, before we got on a little bit earlier how we pick our routes. And uh, MD Anderson is a really special place for a lot of us because a lot of our loved ones, the people that we ride for, were treated at MD Anderson. That's a um, hospital in Houston. Yeah, it's a big cancer center. Right. Um, and they've got a lot of, they have world-class uh, treatment. A lot of people come in internationally as well. Um, so it's really special every year we get to go and present a check and we also uh, get to go and visit them in the fall uh, so we go through Houston then we go uh, east through uh, to all the way to New Orleans and then we follow the Mississippi up um, and then the furthest east we got was actually McKay's hometown we went to Nashville for the first time this year go Predators wow yeah, go Preds 
Um, but we actually run into a, like a really strange problem with that because our jerseys pretty prominently say that we're going from <laughs> uh, Texas to Alaska. And uh, especially on our way to New Orleans, uh, oh. people were very kind uh, and helpful in rolling down their windows on the highway and yelling at us. <laughs> That we're going the wrong way. <laughs> it's uh, that way. It's that way. Like you're going the wrong way. I think, at least in the 600s, I would say. Yeah. Uh, it, once a day for sure. Fantastic. Okay, that's that might be like a low, a low. That might be a low that's number. How, that's how it felt. Now, now, Liz, I, uh, you're off mic now, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I read your bio and the reason that you're doing this. You worked at a camp with kids affected by cancer. That's right. Were you more dire- have you been more directly affected by cancer that inspires you to do this? Yeah, so the original reason I even got interested in the cancer fighting community was because my my mom's best friend when I was in high school got diagnosed with breast cancer and just watching her family um she's a single mother and my mom raised me um as a single mother for a portion as well and um seeing that just the way that your life automatically turns upside down through that experience and um it affected her family so much and seeing my mom affected as well that's what got me interested in you know wanting to do more wanting to help out and so when i came to college that's when i found camp kesem which is the organization for kids whose parents have cancer which i just thought was beautiful because it's an it's an underserved community and you know those kids i was a counselor for the six to eight year old girls and they were just wonderful kids they they had a ton of strength and that's that's why i wanted to join texas 4000 as well to do a little bit more raise more money go to the website texas 4000 audrey's story is there mckay's story is there we're so glad you took time out of your day today to come and visit with us and share us this incredible story this journey that you're on we're glad we could be a very small portion of it all the best as you make your way to anchorage thank you so much thank you safe journey nice to meet you and uh hook them horns hook them indeed Global news and weather is next at the bottom of the hour. Wow. I, I'm really going to have to get my bike out of the garage this weekend. Yeah, and you know what's going to happen, or at least what's going to happen with me is I'll try, and I'll be, wow, this is way tougher than it looks, and then I'll give up and cry, and then it'll be a bit of a mess. At Texas 4000, if you'd like to follow our crew on Twitter, you can check out their website, texas4000.com, and learn all about our guests. It was McKay, Audrey, and Elizabeth. They are on their way to Anchorage, Alaska, from Austin, Mm. Texas, uh, via Houston and New Orleans. So they headed east before they came north. Uh, What an incredible journey. Day 42 of 70 for them. We thank them one more time for spending some of their off day here in Winnipeg. We just sent them off to the Forks. They're going to try and uh, head up the tower at the Canadian Museum for Human Rights. Check out Bastille Day festivities en Provence over uh, near the uh, old St. Boniface City Hall. We were talking to um, Alan Nobili from the... uh, uh, Francais, Alliance Francais or Francais Alliance uh, yesterday. Alliance Francaise. Yeah, uh, Alliance? Al- yeah. Alliance? Alliance Francaise. Oh, you say it so nicely. Dr. Cyrus Dirksen was supposed to be having pizza with us this afternoon. What's going on, doc- Dr. Cyrus? You've been sick for a few <laughs> weeks here. We're missing you. I just, uh, well, I'm not going to get into the details. <laughs> yes, please don't. <laughs> but, uh, no, I know. I just can't seem to get, uh, get rid of this thing. I'm actually feeling... 
pretty good, but uh, no, not coming out to the patio today. That's for all sure. right. Well, better, better safe than sorry. There's I guess. always next week. Uh, <laughs> Tristan, you had something you wanted to talk about with uh, Dr. Cyrus, so I, I'm going to sit back a little bit and and uh, <laughs> and watch you guys play today. But uh-oh, chances <laughs> are I will jump him. in. <laughs> oh, oh, chances are. Did yeah, you hear what might... Cyrus said? What? He said, "Don't leave me alone with him." <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Cyrus, you're not even in person. You're afraid of me. Come on, man. Um, I'm still I saw. <laughs> I, I read this fast article I thought it was really interesting anyway called the crisis of meaning and this mm. involves uh, a world-renowned psychiatrist and Nazi concentration camp survivor Viktor Frankl uh, and he uh, some 60 years ago he called attention to three major societal ills aggression addiction and depression uh, he termed the problems the mass neurotic triad and sort of a psychological axis of evil and if that doesn't have your attention already, I don't know what will exactly. Uh, but what I thought was really interesting throughout this article is how uh, they they tied it up to, so the, again, aggression, addiction, depression, if we go through those, they tied it up to a crisis of meaning. So when stuff stops meaning something to you, and for instance, overt aggressive behaviors, road rage, parking lot rage, desk rage, which is a result of work stress, and I can tell you I definitely do not suffer from <laughs> desk rage. Wipe that smile off your face, Greg Mackling. Uh, so, uh, and, and these are behaviors that cost employers billions of dollars in lost productivity. Um, and what I found really interesting, Dr. Cyrus, about this sort of triad, the three major societal ills, is how, I mean, this was mentioned 60 years ago, and it's finally coming to the forefront. So, uh, you, you, know, you talk to so many people who deal with uh, so many issues, I have to ask, would you agree with this? Do you think these are the three big societal ills we have to be worried about? Well, I mean, I think... That's, uh, I didn't expect that question. That's interesting. I think uh, I think that they are definitely, you know, a big deal. Violence, addiction, depression, you know, in particular, uh, depression is so, uh, you know, widespread and experienced. Uh, it's so prevalent uh, right now. But I think that there probably are other things. It's hard to kind of think of everything that's not on the list. Um, but definitely they're a big deal. Uh, and, and I actually really like Viktor Frankl. I, I remember reading him when I was in university and, uh, you know, his, his whole idea of will to meaning was, uh, very compelling. And, uh, pe- maybe people don't know he was, came out, up with this when he was, uh, just before and during, uh, his time in a concentration camp. Um, I remember one story where he was uh, talking about people who were uh, wanting to commit suicide with him or commit suicide in the concentration camp. And independently, two men said that they were thinking of committing suicide because that there was nothing in life that... Not life, they had nothing to expect in life anymore. They were hopeless. And then he went up to them and he said, life expects something from you. And that was... Uh, kind of his turn and then they both then did come up with stories where they thought that life did expect something one was going to be a writer one had a, a daughter who expected some things from him and it kind of turned them around and so that kind of cap that story i think captures his ideas um about kind of there being a meaning and responsibility and a choice in life now what and what this kind of what these uh tie together is this mm-hmm. crisis of meaning which i thought right. was really interesting where basically, really at the root of it, stuff stops meaning something to you. Now, this for a lot of people, I would suspect anyway, that when something doesn't have that significance for you, it's, it isn't something that happens overnight. 
So, Dr. Mm. Cyrus, what, and I could be wrong, of course, so feel free to correct me, but what is something that could be sort of the symptoms or the early signals that maybe you're starting to lose meaning in something that really should be meaningful? I think uh, Viktor Frankl would probably say that this idea of um, the will to power or the will to pleasure uh, would be kind of the antithesis to the will to meaning. So if you're, if you're in any way looking to become more powerful or add more pleasure to your life, then he would say that you're on your way to becoming uh, more depressed, potentially aggressive, and maybe addicted. Uh, so those would be kind of some warning signs if you're trying to become more powerful in life, if you're trying to find, uh, if, you're, if you're doing things specifically to seek pleasure or specifically your goal is to kind of find happiness, those would be warning signs for kind of these problems. Greg, you enjoying the conversation? I'm here? loving it. I just I don't I don't want you to feel left out here. No, no, you're asking great <laughs> questions and you're taking this deeper than I normally would. But this whole idea of a crisis of meaning, I think, is something that we all struggle with at different points in our life, whether we're of faith, not of faith. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there's often times when when we wonder what is the meaning of life, and it mm-hmm. can be crippling when. You don't have a philosophy, and even when you do, it can be difficult day to day to figure out uh, why are we on this planet. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think uh, you know the will to meaning. You're, you're bringing up faith. I think meaning is something that's kind of in faith. I think that, uh, or often in faith, I think that um, you know these ideas that Viktor Frankl. He he was a, a man of faith, but you know there's a lot of ideas here that have been adopted by uh, kind of psychology generally um, and uh, you know outside of that kind of faith orientation for sure I mean when I think of uh, a new therapy a newer therapy it's kind of acceptance and commitment therapy and I think it has a lot of the same ideas this idea of not necessarily trying to get away from pain um, but kind of accepting it in some ways and then trying to find value you know commitment commitment to action to commitment to valuable action which would be kind of like meaning um, and so, I mean, their orientation is a little bit different. They would describe it differently. Um, but these ideas have, uh, have generally been found to be powerful, you know, uh, all over the place. Now, what's interesting about, uh, we talk about the triad there, aggression, depression, addiction. Uh, now, the first thing that comes to mind when we all think of addiction is substance abuse. Uh, mm-hmm. Or, uh, you know, an addiction to a vice of some sort. Mm-hmm. And But what's what's interesting that's that's brought up here is that Addiction isn't necessarily sort of you go to rehab to try and get yourself fixed and it's a huge upheaval. Like it mentions in here some behaviors like excessive texting or emailing Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. even, uh, you know, uh, sexual addictions or exercise, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of these things where, I mean, you might not consider excessive texting as one of the classic addictions of I got to get help for this, Mm -hmm. but it plays into the same behavior, doesn't it? Yeah, I think that... You know those uh, those type of behaviors um, would be you know any kind of addiction or, or pleasure seeking. Um, the idea, at least you know, that this going back to this will to power or will to pleasure, would be that they are a method of taking away uh, choice. Uh, people kind of become uncomfortable with the idea that they have a choice, and they attempt to kind of distract themselves or intoxicate themselves to the point where they don't feel that choice anymore. And they, then they don't feel that responsibility. 
and um, and instead it's kind of this kind of direct seeking of pleasure. And so, I mean, when you think of texting or when you think of you know, these other kinds of behaviors, they have very similar, uh, you know, sometimes very similar responses in our brain to things like or more kind of classic substance abuse, things like heroin or, or cocaine. Um, you know, when you get a text message, you get a very nice response in your brain. Uh, so these kinds of things can be very similar and they can be kind of capture that same idea of trying to people trying to find a way to distract themselves from the issues of life. Dr. Cyrus, Dr. Cyrus Dirksen.com is the website. Just Google them. Dr. Cyrus or Dr. Cyrus Dirksen will come up in a Google search or in the address bar. We'll take a break. We come back. We will update the weather forecast. And then I want to ask how this translates into relationships because a lot of this has to do, you know, that we've been talking about in this first part of the discussion is how we view ourselves, how we deal with ourselves. But how does that translate and how does that affect our relationships with others when we're unclear of our own meaning and when we battle with this triad that you call it, uh, Tristan, when we come back. Greg Mackling, Tristan Field-Jones in for Brett McGarry on this gorgeous Friday afternoon from Santa Lucia, the rooftop patio on St. Mary's Road. Dr. Cyrus, drcyrus.com, Dr. Cyrus Dirksen joins us now. We're talking about Dr. Frankel, Dr. Mm -hmm. Victor Frankel's The Crisis of Meaning. And uh, just to recap a little bit here, to Dr. Frankel, the problems of aggression, addiction, and depression could be traced in large part to an existential vacuum or perception that one's life, including one's work life, appeared to be meaningless. That's the triad you were talking about there, Tristan, I believe, Mm -hmm. aggression, addiction, and depression. And of course, all these things can be very detrimental to ourselves personally and they can be uh, self-inflicting of a variety of wounds emotional physical and otherwise but what about this uh, if you want you, you want want to talk about this extending to our relationships and how this crisis of meaning can affect our personal relationships dr. Cyrus well I think that relationships I mean generally speaking I would think of uh, meaning as being something that's related to service. So serving something bigger than yourself, uh, you know, serving art or the community or cats or whatever it is, you know, things that, uh, and that's, that's kind of what creates meaning. The other thing that creates meaning is relationships. So when, when people are kind of seeking after meaning or, or finding meaning in their lives, normally that creates an interest in and, kind of focus on relationships when people are seeking after other things like happiness, pleasure, or power, generally speaking, they will become distracted from their relationships and focus on, on other things. Um, and so when you, when you're asking what's the effect of kind of meaninglessness on relationships, generally speaking, at least kind of a distracted kind of frantic searching for other things. Um, other things other than maybe the relationships that are sometimes right in front of them. Yeah, you know, um, The Alchemist is one of my favorite books, uh, Paulo, Paulo Coelho, and this whole idea of, of searching for something, and I don't want to give away the ending, but, but part of the realization is that much of what you're looking for 
is right there if you're prepared to, to look in deep. But sometimes you need to go on that journey, and sometimes mm. it's a, a journey across North Africa from, <laughs> from, from the south of Spain and back to realize that where you started is really where you wanted to end up in the first place. And mm. But in the meantime, though, that can be very devastating to, to real, real relationships that you're in when all of a sudden one of, of the two in the relationship are going, I, I, yeah, I'm going to discover the real meaning of life. And it's mm. like, well, I, hey, I thought we had that yeah. here. <laughs> it, was, it was already there. It was already kind of sometimes it's sitting right in front of the person. And I think that's a lot of what, uh, you know, Viktor Frankl or you know, acceptance commitment therapy or, you know, are talking about when there, it's not so much about uh, kind of finding a way out of the pain uh, as much as finding a way of adding meaning to it. So they would say, you know, depression is like despair would be suffering without meaning. So you can either take away the suffering, which is I think what a lot of people are doing, they're seeking after pleasure, or you can accept the suffering and add meaning to it. And that's generally actually possible because we can't really get rid of suffering completely. So we add meaning to it, you know, adding relationships, adding things in your life where you're serving other people or serving other things, and that creates meaning. How can how can you tell if uh, you're having just, let's say, just a, a bad day or a bad week where, you know, you go to work, you don't feel like doing anything, you go home, you don't feel like doing anything, you're like you've got that stuff doesn't mean anything to you. How can you tell if it's just a one-off occasion or if it means something much more serious could be happening? I think that uh, it's pretty it's pretty challenging uh, to talk about, you know, these things in detail, um, you know, for people. Like, for example, if somebody came up to me and said, you know, why did my child die or something like that, uh, you know, to say, well, you know, you need to find the meaning in that. Um, or, or to say that there's meaning in this is you just can't do stuff like that, right? So I think you, know, you kind of present people with this idea that um, living, you know, striving towards meaning uh, has a side effect of, of happiness, joy, and pleasure. Um, but if you seek after, you know, pleasure and, and it directly, then it kind of leads to suffering. If you kind of present that to people and you kind of help them on their journey, and, and so I don't know if there's really an answer to that question on, you know, whether to, to answer it clearly for people. But other than to say you need to become aware, you know, I would recommend becoming aware of this to stop seeking after happiness, you know, directly and to think about, uh, you know, meaning and service and, and to evaluate yourself and to think deeply about kind of the circumstances that you're in. We look for these answers in all sorts of places right we, we we mentioned faith but also uh, in movies and books and uh, storytelling mm. and and sharing of our experiences and i on radio sometimes too and sometimes on radio <laughs> absolutely as we're doing right now but uh, i met kyle irving last night at the blue bomber games bob irving's uh, son a very accomplished filmmaker in our country and uh, i i watched lovesick which was produced and made here in Winnipeg, and it, it tells the story of a of a guy whose childhood sweetheart has decided to get married, and well, he's not the groom, and you know you travel through his angst and his depression and him dealing with and maybe finding a new meaning in his life, and mm. and so sometimes those things uh, may be entertainment, but 
they're cathartic for a lot of people in terms of uh, uh, looking for a way to make sense of, of their own lack of meaning, aren't they, Dr. Cyrus? I think so. I think that even if you do find kind of the meaning in, in your life, I think that oftentimes circumstances make it so that you have to find a new meaning. And I think that that takes us time and it's a process and you can't skip it and sometimes you can't short circuit it. You have to kind of go through it like what you're talking about. It's the meaning you might find the relationship sitting right in front of you that brings meaning to your life and then maybe that person's gone. And now you have to uh, not, uh, you need to exit that despair because your meaning has left. Now you're in suffering without meaning and you're in despair. So now you have to kind of find a new meaning in your life. And that is very possible. And people do that very naturally. And I like to respect that process. Mm -hmm. But you do need to engage in that process. Dr. Cyrus, uh, one last question before we let you go here. Uh, I'm just thinking of friends or family members who have had these crises of meaning before. And Mm -hmm. as a friend or as a family member, whatever it may be, what can I do on my part to help them find meaning? Hmm, That's a very good question. I, I like... I, I think it's a good start just to kind of have a little bit of an idea of what generally brings meaning to people's lives, which is relationships and service of some kind. And, and I think that, generally speaking, helping, giving people space to think deeply about their lives and, you know, having some wisdom around the idea that seeking pleasure or seeking power directly doesn't generally lead to happiness. Just trying to get rid of suffering doesn't work and then you kind of need to add something to your life uh, some kind of interest, some kind of thing that you can do that you feel makes the world a better place or, or helps people. Um, and, and if you have that, you might be able to, as the person's processing, uh, you know, give them a nudge in that direction and see how they respond. Um, and depending on how they're doing, you might need to do that fairly gently. Uh, but it is good to, to be aware that sometimes what looks good right in front of you that looks pleasurable and looks like it's going to take away the suffering doesn't necessarily lead to kind of a healthy, um, you know, a healthy psychology in the future. Well, I know what would alleviate my crisis of meaning, and that would be to see Dr. Cyrus face to face again. I'm starting to miss you, Dr. Cyrus. Oh, I miss you guys too. I appreciate it very much, and thanks for uh, taking time when you're trying to get better. Uh, do so, my friend, and, and hopefully to, uh, next Friday will uh, work out for us. For sure. Okay, we'll see you then. Take care. Dr. Cyrus, drcyrusdirksen.com. We've got cottage country weather and then global news and weather at 3 o'clock. It's Mackling and McGarry with Tristan Field-Jones from the patio at Santa Lucia on St. Mary's Road. Say the weekend starts now. You could say that. We are on the home stretch of a fantastic week. It's been a busy week, to be sure, here on 680 CGOB. Bombers, Argonauts last night. Bombers coming out with a victory. Good for them. Well done, mm-hmm. gentlemen. Uh, next week, Friday night, Blue Bombers will be in British Columbia visiting the Lions. So that's a 9 o'clock kickoff here on 680 CJOB. Keep it locked here. We'll keep you up to date on all the latest Blue Bombers. As the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Greg Mackling, Tristan Field-Jones, on the rooftop patio at Santa Lucia Restaurant, St. Mary's Road, and Marion Avenue. Yes, Tristan. Well, you know, Greg, I'm... You, you made that... You, you, I can always tell when you're ready to say something, you draw in that... 
deep breath and you have that certain posture. Yes, I'm Tristan. I'm taking an extra deep breath this time. Okay, why is that? Because I understand we're getting a lot of feedback about the Andrea Giesbrecht sentencing, and I can only imagine the number of comments we have to <laughs> preview before we yeah, we've read got, them. We've got a few to uh, go through here. Of course, Andrea Giesbrecht has been uh, sentenced to eight and a half years for her crimes and uh, for concealing the remains. And, and that's part of the issue here, right? A lot mm-hmm. of people um, see those remains as, as children. Yep. And so there are a lot of people that view this as murder and nothing else. And I, I read Gary's comment uh, way back uh, about 152. That was when the when the sentence came down. And, and I read it and I wasn't quite clear on what Gary was saying mm-hmm. I'm clear now I asked him to clarify his comments and he was so kind uh, to send back his comments 204-780-6868 is how you can interact with us Giesbrick is getting off with an easy time to serve wow six children and of course she has two children now but we're talking about the remains of right six six children in Gary's eyes and in the law, it's a little bit of a different. Yep. It's a different story, right? So we have to sometimes realize that the interpretation, the presentation of the law versus the way many of us view these remains, is different. Well, and and, and the way they're treated, and and it, it comes across as cold and clinical, and you know heartless sometimes but ultimately there's a reason why we have these rules in place so that we can remove as much interpretation as possible of course that's not a fix for everything there are countless cases where we've had people uh you know say well wait a minute this doesn't make sense and you've had you know appeals and cases go through the courts and i mean it just it doesn't take long to find a case where the law meant several different things to several different people but ultimately the fact of the matter is as cold and as seemingly heartless as it may seem to say well two years per per baby or two years per child which is what a lot of people are probably thinking of there are these rules and these regulations in place doesn't mean they can't be changed doesn't mean we can't modify them and there are ways to do that but ultimately there's a reason why we have these rules, and and, and there's and, and there's a reason why it's such a stringent stringent system, because we firmly believe here in this country that it's innocent until proven guilty. Well, and the letter of the law says dictates that these were not to the letter of the law children. Right. They, they were un, unborn, and so that is where I understand when people start using the word word children how visceral the reaction is yep so i get it now gary so thank you six children this is his view one is too many in my book hey again the laws really need changing as far as murder is concerned in any case but and something interesting and something crucial i think that you pointed out greg was that she was not charged with murder Correct. it's important to remember that right and but a lot of the public doesn't see it that way no exactly and and the thing is uh, you know, a lot of people say, well, murder, death by neglect, whatever it may be, same difference. And there might be some people who look at those circumstances. And again, that's not what the law has determined. That's not what the judges and the lawyers have determined through looking at the case. But in the eyes of the public, it's a very different, uh, it's a very different story. Gary goes on to say, what I'm saying is you can imagine your child or anyone anyone's being killed man it it might just be me but i love my two boys and just thinking that based on the fact is well it's heavy people get worse sentencing for killing one person be it intentional or by accident 
This is the law as it stands, but I disagree with a slap on the wrist in such cases as this. My weakness when it comes to kids is my point. Justice is weak. Thanks again. This hit a nerve. That is all, Gary. So thank you, Gary. I appreciate that. Because, you know, we often we get comments, right? And we need context for conversation, for discussion. Certainly. And we had we had a story up on our global web site. It's probably up on every news site across the globe, which then ends up being on a Facebook page and on a Twitter feed about a woman, a young woman who was killed in her bathtub. Right. While charging her handheld device, her, her, her phone. And the phone slipped into the bathtub and this young woman was electrocuted and killed. She did not survive this. Yep. And some of the comments... Or vitriolic. On these sites is... <laughs> perfect word, Tristan. And one example... Yeah. Should I use it? Laws of natural selection? Yeah, that was one comment. God's I, I work mean, being done yeah, here? Or it's, it's some people were saying, oh, they're happy that she didn't breed. And it's like, what, what are you talking about? I mean, was it a smart decision to have the phone near the bathtub? Maybe not, but she's dead. Come on, people. Let's let's use some context here. Like you say, there's there's, I, I we are super quick to to criminalize what we see as stupid, right? It's and again, not I, even about criminalizing it. Well, it's, it's about judging and judging to the extreme. Right. Exactly. And it's just in this in this era of this is one of the the downfalls of anti-social media, if you will, uh, as Kelly Moore put it. Um, you know, we, we have access to so much information and this sort of read the headline type culture and then yep. be done with it can lead to some of these judgments. Now, ultimately, of course, it wasn't it probably wasn't a smart decision to have the phone near the bathtub. But to say comments like that, to say, wow, well, natural selection, because it was very tragic what happened. I mean, that's that's pushing it. That's exaggerated. And, the, and those are the type of comments I have no time to put into context. But when we understand how people see about mm-hmm. and how they feel about life at different stages, you understand that there is context to be developed, extracted, and to be discussed. Uh, here's another text message, 7806868. Not enough time for Andrea. It was murder. She is sick. There's another text message here. Uh, I think I read that one already, but I'll read it again for those that just uh, tuning in. Good to know. Eight and a half years isn't crushing, won't affect her family, won't affect her job. How many legal abortions did she have? And once again, I there is some speculation here, but I don't know the number off the top of my head. I don't know if that was presented at the trial. It was. Uh, now, I don't remember the specific number, right. but I do remember the number of abortions being uh, fairly high. Fairly high. More than one. Oh, for less sure. Less than a hundred. For sure. Yeah. I, again, I don't remember the. And again, our C, our CGOB's Keith McCullough would have the answer to that. But I I certainly remember there were several at least. So, and that in response to Judge Thompson suggesting that after he'd done his own math on what the sentence ought to be, he took off a year, feeling that nine and a half years was too harsh. I'm not sure how one year less than nine and a half expresses any sorts of leniency hmm. but we'll leave that up to mayor thompson mayor thompson judge thompson 
and of course time served now that will be negotiated i suspect because for a long time you've had uh, you know time and a half or two times for time served it'll be interesting to see what number if they go one for one with andrea giesbrick and then of course there's the whole serving two-thirds of your sentence thing, right and how quickly andrea giesbrick may be out of prison uh, kind of a landmark day in the judicial system here in manitoba we'll take a break we'll update traffic and weather and uh it's friday afternoon we haven't forgot about the fact that we like to give away things between three and four o'clock we'll do just that when we come back if only your co-host had provided you with a state-of-the-art clipboard to put your papers underneath the board you're making very good use of Mm -hmm. the clip part uh-uh. Maybe well, seven out of ten. You know, on the I had I had it kind of partially, there, partially under there, and I thought that's enough. But no, the occasional wind gust comes by, and there we go. Greg Mackling, Tristan Field Jones. If you're just tuning in, we are on the rooftop patio, Santa Lucia, St. Mary's Road, and Marion Street. Go to cjob.com. Go to our contest tab. Now, there's lots of people since we amalgamated our website with Global. The Global tabs are across the top and blue the cgob tabs underneath almost mimicked identically Mm. in white go down the contest and you can enter contest just have to give us a little bit of information you can win 100 dollars tab as tristan likes to call it here at santa lucia it's in the form of a gift certificate we'd love to see you down here we're here all month of july from one till four nazareth coming to winnipeg july 28th Mm -hmm. we want you to go and see them on us that's like a tab. Oh, little starlight, star bright. The captain said, don't sing, Mackling. Okay. Here's the question. We also want people who are listening to the program. We had our friends from Texas 4000 on the program earlier this afternoon. They are completing a 4,000-mile journey by bicycle. Where did they start? Where will they finish? You must know both cities in order no, to go y- see. We've got some people here. No, our, our engineer, Mike no, Geisen, Mike, wants to you win. Don't he get can't. To win. Sorry. 780-6868 if you'd like to go and see Nazareth. Despicable. Tristan, are you paying for these tickets yourself? No. Oh, okay. 780-6868 if you'd like to go see Nazareth. Texas 4000, where they start, where they finish. So, so Social media is a great window into how evil people can be. And how they can truly be. It's disgusting. Yeah, it sure can be sometimes. It sure can be. Without question. Uh, Tristan, you wanted to jump in on uh, something else that I think is along the same lines. These ideas of events that are purely for almost macabre reasoning. Mm. Like, we're we're really only interested in this event between, is it Floyd Mayweather? And Conor Conor McGregor. McGregor, Because we want to know if McGregor's going to get his... uh, 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 beard handed to him, or if Mayweather is going to somehow succumb to the MMA uh, phenom. Okay, real quick, I have to mention this because this is insane to me here. Uh, I have no interest in boxing, but I have interest an interest in numbers. This isn't boxing, nope. first and foremost. Is it you? Whatever. The fact is, uh, Mayweather will make at least $100 million from this fight, but Gregor will make at least $75 million. As if that isn't outrageous enough, Mayweather could make up to four hundred million dollars if he wins i suppose or if the event hits all the monetary metrics mcgregor will come by i don't even think mayweather needs to win doesn't even need to win mcgregor might have just a cool 127 million under what where in the world can you make 400 million dollars for 
Like, is there anywhere else in the world where you can do this, this for such a, a little amount? This is a rhetorical question. This is absolutely said. absurd to me. I, I, I can't get over that. 400 well, we million. feed the beast, man. No, I, hey, I'm not, it's not a criticism. I think it's just... Humans the, feed the beasts. I, I think it's... Wow. It's not beast. It's not these guys you're mad at. You're mad at the people who are going to pay 120 Canadian dollars for the pay-per-view. Yeah, that's a bit And much. there's going to be tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of Canadians who will do that. Yep. we got to take a break. Uh, we have uh, weather. Weather. And then sports. Sports. When we come back. Robert Jolivet is going to see Nazareth July 28th at the Burt. Just like Kev Young, our friend from Diabetes Canada, is on the patio. Came to say hi this afternoon. He knew that our friends from Texas 4000 are riding their bicycles from Austin, Texas to Anchorage, Alaska. Day 42 here in Winnipeg of their 70-day journey. Follow them on Twitter at Texas 4000. Really cool to meet Liz, Audrey, Mm -hmm. and McKay here on the patio at Santa Lucia. And we're going to meet now with Hal Anderson. And Hal, is this going to be the start of another... What is it, 70-day stint with... Uh, uh, you know, I don't, that's a good question, Tristan. I'm not sure. I'm filling in for... I'm doing my show tomorrow and Sunday, right. then Shadow for two weeks. Uh, there's going to have to be some best-of shows in there on the weekends, though, because I can't do it again. I try. I thought I still had it in me, but it almost killed me when I filled in for career like that and did my shows. So we're going to have to... Now, nah, I think there's going to be some best-of shows in there on the weekend. Well, that's your version of the Texas 4000, Hal. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I thought I could handle it, no problem, but I was exhausted. Hey, wow. Hal, your show on the weekend has a sponsor. Can you tell us who that is? Uh, that would be Santa Lucia Pizza. Very Ooh. nice. Yes. Well, I like the synergy here. Uh-huh. Fantastic. Yeah, I wish I could be. And I promise I will make it down soon, though, on a Friday. Okay, we yeah. will uh, hold That'd you be great. to that. Hey, what do you think of this uh, Conor McGregor, uh, Floyd Merriweather fight what do you think of this well listen uh, they're doing it right they're they got people talking about this fight um listen um where's the what's the guy's name the uh the the, the challenger it's conor mcgregor from conor the McGregor. Uh, ufc yeah i don't think this guy's got a chance but he's talking a good game and he it's sure making is. it kind of fun to watch these uh, oh, yeah. these uh, news conferences they're having all over the world. They were just in Toronto with one, and I watched a bit of that. And, uh, yeah, they're hyping it up, just what they got to do. And I think I said Merriweather. It's, of course, Mayweather, yeah. Mayweather. And I, I, and I, I called it boxing earlier, so clearly we're huge fans. Yeah, well, they are going to <laughs> they box. They are boxing, yeah. They are boxing. Oh, it is boxing. Yeah. So it's McGregor that is leaving his MMA uh, expertise behind. And, right. in fact, I understand, Al, that in the contract, if he goes – uh, a little bit off here and uh, and uses any of his MMA moves on Mayweather, breaks his arm, kicks him or something like that, uh, he doesn't get a penny. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I think that's part of the spectacle is people are curious to find out how this guy who is never is not a pure boxer is mm. going to get into the ring with, with uh, arguably one of the, the best champions in the history of the sport. Yeah. And uh, and how it's going to turn out. So that goes in August. If it even goes off, there's got to be a small chance it doesn't. And happen. what's the payday? They're splitting a hundred million, is it? No, Mayweather is entitled to at least a hundred million. Could go up to four hundred million. I still can't get over that. And Conor McGregor will get at least seventy-five million. Uh, and if things go well for him, up to one hundred and twenty-seven million. Wow. 
which I think is referring to pay-per-views there, probably. Oh, yes, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> so speaking of uh, money that, uh, you know, easy come, easy go, Karen Kuldis and her million-dollar kick-to-win yeah. uh, victory snatched from the jaws uh, by a, a phantom, I don't know if it was interference or uh, 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 blocking from behind call. It doesn't yeah. really matter. It was a controversial a, call. It was controversial uh, at the very least. How do you feel about uh, the CFL and Air Miles and uh, Safeway Sobeys standing up here and saying, yeah, we, we can't give you everything, and I, I don't think anybody expected that, but yeah. they really are uh, coming to the to, to the plate here. Well, the thing is with these contests, right, they're all insured. Like for those big ones, you know, like a million dollars, they're all insured. So even though those companies might, I mean, I guess they could afford to pay if they wanted to, but these contests are insured and it's all about uh, odds and, you know, all kinds of stuff. So, um, you know, if it it didn't happen, then she doesn't get paid, period, I guess. I don't know. That's it? Well, that's that's the way I've always... (laughs) Boo-hoo. Too bad. <laughs> oh, Hal Anderson. Oh, uh, I don't know. Siding with our technical producer today, Mike Giason, who mm-hmm. just says, he says, give me a break. Yeah, hey, It is what it is. It's right. sport. Didn't it's happen. No, it's no different than if they were playing in the Grey Cup and the cup was on the line yep. and a bad call went the wrong way. It would still, you know, the champ would still be the champ, right? Mike uh, is moving into insufferable territory yeah, at this point here. All right. He's gonna he's just got that, that grin on his face. Mike, big deal. You got Hal on your side. Hal, what do you <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing to kick off your uh, your Manitoba four thousand here? Um okay, well, a few things. On the weekends I like to touch on stuff that's happening around the province. So they've got a big event in Winkler tomorrow. It's called uh, Big Rigs, Big Hearts or Big Hearts, Big Rigs, one one way or the other. And they end the day with a convoy of, they figure, about 100 big rigs. Nice. So, obviously, that means I'm going to pull out the old song, Convoy, right? Which Mm -hmm. is a favorite of mine. So, uh, we're going to talk about that event. I uh, was just chatting with Mike Chud up in Gimli. Uh, Chud's Power Sports is putting on the motorcycle ride for MS. What a beautiful ride that's going to be tomorrow from Selkirk up to Hecla. Uh, wow. so we'll t- yeah, beautiful. So we'll touch on a, and a great cause, MS. So we'll touch on a few things happening around the province. My weather expert buddy, Bruce Johnson, will be on. We'll see if any severe weather kicks up today, but it looks like it's going to be a nice weekend. Uh, and then a bunch of other stuff, too. Winning. I think we're giving away passes for the new Planet of the Apes movie uh, tomorrow and again on Sunday with some tough trivia questions. So, yeah, well, you know, the regular stuff and lots of fun, of course. You know, that, that Planet of the Apes movie, I'm, uh, that whole trilogy with Andy Serkis in there, yeah. it's amazing how... Uh, you know, you hear, oh, another sequel to Planets of the Apes because they made four or five of them. Mm-hmm. And yet you see this trilogy getting critical acclaim and mm-hmm. getting all sorts of reviews. It's just it's amazing to me how well that trilogy has done. Like, I have no interest in, in that movie series at all, but I yeah. I really want to see it. Well, and I remember the, the first, the original one, the very first one. And I don't know how old I was. I wasn't very old. And I was I saw the, the trailers on TV back then. And I said, to him, oh, I want to go see this, Dad. Come on, Dad. Take me, take me. And my dad's like, I know what's going to happen. My dad didn't have much money. My, you know, my parents were dirt poor. And, uh, but my dad scraped together enough to take me to the movie and, you know, and buy me a, a, a box of popcorn or whatever. And I don't think I lasted four minutes and I was out of there. As soon as the, as soon as the white ape or the, I don't know if he was white or orange or whatever he was in that first Planet of the Apes movie, when he came out, I'm like, Dad, let's get the heck out of here. Come on, <laughs> let's go. I, I can't handle wow. this. Yeah. Now, you're not likely to recognize him, but I do want to give a shout out to uh, my good friend, my longtime friend, Alex Ponovic. Winnipeg, a lot of people know yes. Al. He I know is Big in, Al, sure. Yeah, Big Al's in the movie. He plays one of the apes. 
and uh, he's been he's been documenting this incredible journey of being a part of this production on his Facebook page. You can like he's got like a personal page and then one that the public can follow. Yep. Uh, check check it out. I was showing it to uh, my boys today. They thought it was absolutely cool. Now there's, that there's someone I knew yeah. was going to be in that movie. There is a guy who said I want to be an actor, yep. and he went on to be really in some huge films. And this is is only the latest. I'm sure he's going to be in many more. But you'll know this, Greg, and I can't remember what was the band that he played oh, in around town. Oh, I was, was trying. It, was to... it like moment? Was it moment? No, it wasn't momentary madness. No, it ah, wasn't. Darn it! Seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Somebody our... will know. Oh yeah, one of our somebody will text knows, that in. Sure. Great band though. Used to play the bars around town. Just a fun party band. Absolutely. Yeah. Hal Anderson. Hal Anderson weekends tomorrow. Now that starts at six, right? Hal? No, seven. I'm on at seven. <laughs> I'm on at six on Monday for Shadow. Seven to ten tomorrow, and again on Sunday. We don't want any, uh, <laughs> you know, misconstruition of the of the clock over the next few days. Yeah, I know right. it's going to be tough for you, brother. Yeah. Okay, man. Okay, Thanks, Thanks for having me on, boys. Thanks, Hal. Cheers. Hal Anderson, uh, tune in tomorrow at 7 until 10, Saturday and Sunday, and then, uh, as mentioned, he's in for Shadow Davis, 6 till 10, Monday through Friday. For the next two weeks, Shadow, I know you're on your way to the Grand Canyon. Have a great time, my friend. Uh, enjoy driving that truck. Wish I was going with you. We'll take a break. Traffic, weather together, and then it's Julian Richards sending up the news from 4 till 7. It's Mackling and TFJ on the patio at Santa Lucia. You know what? Sometimes I think I could say, I can't remember my social insurance number. Can one of our listeners please text it into us at 780-6868? And they would have the answer. Specula Black was the longtime bar band in Winnipeg, featured uh, amongst other outstanding musicians, Alex Ponovic. We were talking about Alex and the fact that he's in uh, the uh, third edition, the third round of, uh, is it Planet, just Planet of the Apes, Escape? Uh, War for the Planet of the Apes. War for the, the Planet of the Apes. You 93% tell, on Rotten Tomatoes. You can Doing tell well. I've seen the first two. No, You're big fan. I have not. Richard Cluche, Julie Buckingham, do we have either or both in the studio? Uh, you have Julie here. Hi, Jules. Hi, good afternoon, gentlemen. I, I never realized how, how much, much I missed you when I don't get to see you. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. Ditto. Don't get used to it. Okay, uh, I take that back. What's happening uh, on the news today? Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. Of course, uh, Richard Cluche had an opportunity to speak with former President Carter, so we'll have uh, nice. a number of segments of that throughout the news. And Loren McNabb had an exclusive with the former president that will be on Global Television at 6. So we will hear from the former president about his uh, overnight accommodations, shall we say, at St. Boniface Hospital and, and just how the build is going from his his perspective. Also, we will speak with Karen. What about Karen? And and <laughs> hashtag, all, don't forget the hashtag. Hashtag, what about Karen? And all of the goodies that she is now getting. Uh, Sans million dollars, but um, still a nice amount of, of things coming her way as a result of that controversial call in the Blue Bombers game costing her the million bucks. So we will, uh, apparently the phone at her house has been ringing off the hook. So we will uh, have have an opportunity to see if things have died down a little bit for her and how she feels, you know, uh, almost 24 hours later about, <laughs> about the situation. Also, uh, Patrol Sergeant Phil Penner is going to join us. This is a really cool initiative that Winnipeg police are doing. They fanned out in the William White neighborhood for this smart home smart initiative and they're going door to door and talking to people about protecting their properties what they can do to reduce crime and this all based on crime statistics so if you think that the police aren't looking at those crime stats 
they really are and they're using it to their advantage and they're putting boots on the ground and apparently the reaction was was really fantastic so we'll find out more about the initiative and i guess it's a good thing if they don't need to to come to your area because that would mean that that the statistics don't bear it out but they really are trying to um put a dent in the crime particularly in the summer months when things tend to be a little bit more active and uh and and julie as we've noticed i mean how many days in a row now have we had police briefings about various incidents it's been really busy it has been extremely busy and that often happens in the summertime so this is one of the ways that they're trying to tackle that and reduce it and maybe give you some tips and some things that that you haven't thought about your own property so that is always good to have another set of eyes take a look and say have you considered doing this or consider doing that so we'll uh talk to them and uh, i think we'll have some fun along the way some some ways to keep your kids outside and active this summer as well i was just about to say before the little birdie appeared in my ear i can't see him from here but i imagine that jeffrey forche has given us the rap sign julie thank you very much we'll see you next week have a great show four to seven richard cluche julie buckingham and real quick one text hey guys good show i was one digit away from $10 million. Rules are the rules. I got 2000 bucks. At least she got a $25,000 entertainment mm-hmm. center. Enjoy the pizza. It's excellent. Thank it you, is. Ernie. Thank you for listening. Thanks for all your interaction. TFJ, thanks for filling in for Vacationing Brett McGarry. Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB.